You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit LonoCoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. Today, I'm joined by Newsday columnist Bob Glauber, who has covered the NFC East since 1985 and wrote a book two years ago in which he featured Joe Gibbs. He shares some excellent insight into Gibbs, plus on the Giants and even the Jets. Might Sam Darnold be available this offseason? And then I'm joined by Tyler Roman for some fantasy football talk, who are some good plays based not only on recent showings, but on injury situations around the league. Tyler's a former NFL scout, and he shares his insight. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com, follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Glauber, G-L-A-U-B-E-R, and read him at Newsday.com. And you can follow Tyler at NFL Scout 21. And now, here's my conversation with Bob Glauber. Joined by Bob Glauber, and Bob, I mean, he's been one of my favorite writers for a long time before I got into business. That's why it's always been a pleasure to deal with you. You've covered the NFC East for a long time. You have great perspective on it, written books on it. But let's start with the current day Giants coming off another crushing loss. Where are you at with your assessment of Daniel Jones and then also Joe Judge? Wow, there's a lot to unpack there, John. Because yes, there is. I know. Man, you know Daniel Jones, just when you're ready to say, ah, this, I mean, every week it's the same thing. He throws these killer interceptions. He'll fumble the ball. And you're saying, you know, he just doesn't have, this is not, you know, you, you need more than this. And then he'll do what he did last night, uh, throw the potential tying touchdown pass in the last 28 seconds on a 77-yard drive that and converts two fourth down uh, attempts. So, you know, I think Daniel Jones is not going to be an elite quarterback. You know, it's weird in today's day and age, quarterbacks have to develop much faster. I mean, it's just the reality of it. And they're put in there earlier when they can play well on their rookie contracts. It's so much better for a franchise. So they're trying to force feed Daniel Jones. And, you know, there are some encouraging results, but obviously, you know, they're they're one in seven. And Daniel Jones uh, continues to throw bad bad picks and, and fumble the ball. So, you know, he's incomplete right now. Uh, Judge, I'm encouraged by Judge. I, I think he's a solid, really good leader. I think the players really like him. He's tough, but he will defend his players, and he's very good with clock management. That's totally overlooked, you know, in a one on a one in 17 But, you know, when this team gets good, and, and he you know, they got to get better players, but if this team gets good, that will help them a lot because you see so many coaches struggle with time management stuff. He does not, and and that's that's encouraging. So I, I think Joe Judge does have it as a coach. It's funny in watching them, 
outside of one game, it feels like they're in every game. So why yeah. why is that? Their defense to me has been better than I anticipated. Why why are they in every game? But yet, and obviously they can't close, but they're in every game. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's a testament to coaching. I, I think you know this team is marginally talented, right? They they still need a lot of help in a lot of areas. So when you have decent coaching, you can hang around in these games against really good teams. I mean, Tampa was almost as hot a team as there was coming into the game last night. And the Giants, you know, went toe-to-toe for, for 60 minutes. And, uh, you know, they, they should have won that game. Had Daniel Jones not thrown two picks, I think they would have won that game. So I, I think it does speak to coaching. It speaks to a collective um, mindset on the team that they are together. You know, they're not kind of fracturing despite the record. And really that you talk about that only game that they did not play well in was against 49ers backups, for God's sake. So, you know, there's there are some encouraging signs, and Joe Judge is choosing the line of, well, I'm I'm choosing to say we're getting better. We're gonna hold on to that and and maybe things turn around. You know, Washington had the team in eighty one with Joe Gibbs that first year when they went 0 5, and he was gonna be the first coach fired without ever winning a game. And they turned it around. I'm not going to liken this team to that, but but that's the ultimate example of just hanging in, trying to believe, and and trying to move forward from there. And then looking at the New York quarterback situation, because it's Sam Donald with the Jets, and then and then obviously Jones with the Giants. Do you think that both will have new quarterbacks? Is it too early to say that both might have new quarterbacks next year? And if so, which you know, what do you think happens there? Because there could be a trickle-down effect where some guys are available that might be attractive to other teams. Yeah. John, I think that the Jets will have a new quarterback. I think that just all signs are leading to that. If they go 0-16 or 1-15, get the first pick, they will go for a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields. Um, from Ohio State, and and I think they will change the quarterback because they're going to get a new coach. You, you want to start over with a, a fresh set of expectations and players, and I think they go in that direction. The Giants, I'm not so sure right now. I think it's it's up in the air. And these last eight games are very important, Daniel Jones, and for the Giants to evaluate him. And, you know, John, you know, one other factor in there is that the, the person who evaluated Daniel Jones and made him the sixth overall pick might not be there next year. So Dave Gettleman is very much up in the air as general manager. And if he's gone, you know, there's obviously no allegiance to Daniel Jones in terms of judge inherited him and whatever new general manager comes in will have inherited him. So I think the, the, the thinking will be open, but the way the giants operate, they're going to give Daniel Jones every chance to succeed over the long term. They saw it with Eli Manning. It took, it really took him in his, till his fourth year to kind of get it all together. He he was he showed a lot of signs, but you know, that fourth year he won the Super Bowl. Even that year, there were a lot of doubts about Eli Manning until he caught fire in the playoffs and then went on a roll and, and became a you know potential Hall of Famer. And with, with Donald, is he a guy like what is your assessment of him? Because again, I mean, I'm looking at Washington's situation. They're gonna have some choices of some maybe the draft or young veterans or someone like that. Is he a guy that you still think can play? Do you do you have confidence in him, or what's your opinion there? I I like Sam Darnold as a quarterback. And I, I say, John, that if you put Sam Darnold with this year's Buffalo Bills, they would be, with the record they have, in first place in the AFC East as a rising team. And if you put Josh Allen with the Jets, he would be a mess. People would say he doesn't have it. It's time to make a change. 
so obviously that's what's around them. You know, what's around Sam Donald and what's around Josh Allen is normal. I mean, that's how you build a, a franchise and they've given him the tools. Sam Donald doesn't have that. So throw it all together. I, I, I do think that he will be on the move and he would be somebody for, you know, if, if Washington is looking for a quarterback who can kind of settle things down, but things are around him that are better then he would certainly be a, a viable option. I, I think the hard part is to go from the Jets to Washington and, and feel like you know, that's that would be a that's that's the hard thing. But they may also be able to better build something here because they have a couple of young building blocks and all that. Let's turn to the NFC East because it's been what the you've been covering this division since what the mid eighties? Yeah, eighty five was my first year. Yep. Okay. So what's Glory it been eight. like for you to yeah, and so you go from covering that to being around this. What's that been like? I mean, uh, this is, John, it's, got, it's shocking to see it. John, we're getting paid to cover a game. Come on. That's well, that, that's, that's, that's true. That, no, that I, mean, I, true. I, I never lose I truly never lose sight of that. My brother, who is a journalist out in Milwaukee, covers politics. So, you know, he does real life stuff. He says, <laughs> uh, Bob, how do you watch this terrible football? But I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm watching a game, and it, it's interesting in its own way. But I I'm grateful that I did come in then because that was such a special time in the NFC East. The NFC East was the epicenter of great football in the NFL from you know really '81 or '82 when Washington won it first, you know until the '90s, and then Coughlin comes comes in, wins two Super Bowls, so. There, there have been a number of great seasons to watch and uh, rivalries, and now they're you know it's just a really a down cycle that you know nobody nobody enjoys it, but it, it is what it is, and you get through it. Hopefully, teams make better decisions and they can turn things around. And and I agree with you. Like I never lose sight of the fact that I cover football for a living, and I'm talking about football for a living. There is, it's you know, bad football is still better than good other things in a lot of yes. cases, right? So I am what cognizant of that. But you also, but if you're going to cover football, you'd like to see good football. And I do, you know, and you can take the cycles, but I'm curious from your perspective, why do you think it's gotten to this point? Well, I think it's all, it's decision-making and franchise building and the bad job of franchise building that the teams have done. And each situation is its own world. You know, Washington's had longstanding problems that are, it's it's just an intractable situation year after year after year after year. And, you know, hopefully Ron Rivera can kind of pull them out of this muck. Um, the Giants, you know, they hung on to Eli Manning probably a year too long. Then you look at the Daniel Jones acquisition, was that the smart thing to do? You know, there are these flashpoints of decisions that when wrong decisions are made, you pay for it and you pay for it over a number of years. Now, Dave Gettleman, if this does not work out, they had tremendous stability at the general manager position from 1979 with George Young all the way through the end of the Jerry Reese era. And you can say Gettleman is a part of that because he worked for Kauf. Just incredible stability at general manager. And you can't underestimate that. But but, you know, Jerry Reese in his later years, you know, he he did not draft well and had to buy free agents to just get competitive. And then Dave Gettleman, you know, it's the jury's still out. If, if Daniel Jones turns out to be a really good player, uh, a lot of the heat will be off. But he, if he's not, 
you know, then this team is is set back, you know, a number of years. Now, Philly is in a down cycle, but, you know, they, they won a Super Bowl. And Dallas, to me, the descent of the Dallas Cowboys began in 1895 when Jerry Jones parted company with Jimmy Johnson. His ego got in the way, and that team has not won. They won one Super Bowl with Jimmy's team coached by Barry Switzer, and that's it. So, you know, there are really – franchise altering decisions that are made that that last for years and in the case of Dallas it's still lasting um look I, they, they could have been one of the they could have been the patriots of their era but she didn't like Jimmy getting all the credit and and moved on and that's 25 years ago for God's sake yeah absolutely do you are you what do you think of Ron Rivera you you are you a fan of his or what do you think yes I I am a fan of Rivera good man good football coach you know, I, I love the aggressiveness. Um, we're watching the game, John, and the, the Giants game. And, you know, okay, it's an early game, fine. But we're it's going to potentially go, get into overtime if you're coaching traditionally. I turn to Tom Rock. I go, oh, I think this is a, this is going to be a quick quick game here. Tom goes, ah, why are you jinxing it, Tom? <laughs> why are you jinxing it? I go, I'll tell you why I'm, jin- I'm not jinxing it because – Ron Rivera, if they score a touchdown, they're going for two. One way or another, this game's over. Either Washington wins or, or they lose. Boom. So I, I like that aggressiveness, and I think players gravitate toward that, and today's players gravitate toward that. The, the key now is, you know, finding the quarterback, settling things down, and just building normally, right? Normal is something just we have not associated with Washington for, you know, for decades now. For decades. Right. How do you do it, John? <laughs> <laughs> I just remind myself I'm covering football. I know. It does. And, you know, but it is like at the end of the day, you know, I'm talking to people about football. And the only part that gets frustrating for me is when you get to like mid-November and the games just don't matter. So yeah. if they're – six or five and eight and the games matter okay we can talk about the games and that may be the case this year um last thing i want to ask you about because you did you wrote the book um guts and guts and genius that came out what two years ago correct it was bill Uh walsh bill parcells and joe gibbs and just the highlight of the 80s and all that what did you learn about gibbs in the reporting of that book you know he he's a pretty open like open story so like people know about him. I found him to be disarmingly, um, you know, he's a very humble guy, um, which was nothing new. I, I guess the parts about um, the workaholic part of it was really more deep seated than um, I think he led on. Um, his insecurity, I found the insecurity of all those coaches, especially in the beginning, was fascinating. They all thought they were going to be fired very early in their careers, and they, and they came out of it. And I think the one thing I gained a more more of an appreciation about with Gibbs was, you know, his ability to his ability to change the course of games with his mind, um, and to change the course of franchises with his mind was incredible. And I, I think that he was one of the greatest coaches of all time. For that reason, because you look at all, and I'm talking about maybe the greatest ever, because you look at all the coaches, legendary, you know, Shula, Landry, Noel, um, Walsh, they, 
they all and, and Lombardi, they all had great quarterbacks, and Gibbs did not have the luxury of that. So that really separated him. Um, he was he was really fun to kind of deal with, and I, I love the stories about you know the players around him. You know, especially with the Hogs, they have that that shack where they go and went to drink beer after practice. And Gibbs, there's a great story. Uh, John Madden was visiting with Gibbs. I think it was like 88 or something, maybe 90. And Gibbs said, yeah, I, I like the way this team is going. I like the direction, you know, they're behaving. And uh, we don't have the, the the problems with any reference that that Shaq. And then Madden, Madden, like, doesn't have the heart to tell him because he had been with the players drinking beer in the Shaq before he sits with Gibbs. And he, I said, did you tell him? He said, I, I didn't have the heart to tell him. So there was this kind of blissful ignorance about things, but but um, you know Gibbs, Gibbs, brilliant man, and um, you know he he looked at the book. I saw him at a Super Bowl after the book came out, and he looked. He says, "Yeah, I was. Thank you, thank you for that. You know, I I, I liked it." Uh, and he looks at the cover and he sees Walsh and Parcells on there. He says, "You know, I'm looking at this picture. I'm like these guys. If it weren't for these guys, I'd I'd have more Super Bowls." And he meant it, you know, not in an egotistical way, but he truly realized that those were the guys standing in his way because they just kept trading shots at, at winning Super Bowls, and they did it in such different ways. You know, Gibbs probably the most normal of the of those three. Um, he just was not like Parcells is is insane in his own way, and Walsh was deeply insecure. I mean, the thing I learned about him was, oh my God, he is just off the wall, and that created. Um, a shortened um, coaching tenure. It really did for all of them. Coaching burnout was a factor for all of them. But it is funny you say about Gibbs because having been around him for a few years, you could still, he would joke about things, but you could see the, some of the jokes about, well, I'm just, you know, a, a gym teacher or English. Like, oh, he was a gym teacher. And, you know, he would always reference that or like, you know, these guys are all smart. I have to work harder. He always believed he had to work outwork everybody versus outsmarting them, but the outworking led to a lot of times outsmarting people. Absolutely. And he, he, he does regret it even to this day, you know, the time that he missed with his family, which is why he loved racing so much because they, they could do it as a family. And then of course he lost his, his oldest son. And, and, you know, that was, that was tragic, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, he, he, he wrestled with that a lot and it, and it really affected him down to his soul, but you know, he, he, Look, he came out of it. He's a, he's a great man and a great leader, very humble guy. And uh, he he had one thing where he they they had a reunion of one of the Super Bowl teams, and he went to it. And he was thinking about before he said, "I wonder if these guys are going to kind of realize how special I considered it." They probably yeah, you know, they've gone on, they got families, and like they move on in life. And then they get together, and and he realizes they all have their sharing with him, and and he realizes just how important that time was. And and all those coaches felt the same way when they went back and kind of realized and, you know, Parcells called it a blood kinship. You, you, you develop when you, when you are a champion and, it, and it's true. It lasts forever. Bob, great stuff. You can follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Glauber, G-L-A-U-B-E-R and read them on newsday.com. Love the insight. Thanks for coming on, Bob. John, my pleasure. Always good talking to you. And yet you do a great job too, my man. I know you grind. Readers <laughs> are lucky to have you, John. Believe me. After this break, I'll be back with Tyler Roman to discuss some good fantasy football plays for not only this week, but coming weeks, starting with the Ravens running back situation. Plus, is Logan Thomas a good fantasy play? 
You've heard me talking about Lone Oak Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, loneoakcoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E, O-A-K, coffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with former NFL scout Tyler Roman. Now we're back talking some fantasy football, and you always have the sleepers or some interesting plays. I think as we get to this point in the season, I think it's like there's – because the injury factor starts to pile up, there's a lot of interesting guys or situations out there. What are the, some of the ones that you're looking at right now? Some guys that I'm looking at, you know, look at the Raven situation. Mark Ingram's going to be out, looks like, again this week. Last week, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards stepped in. Uh, Dobbins had 15 carries for over 100 yards. Edwards had 16 carries for over 80 yards and a touchdown. So those are the two guys that I would look at to replace that. I mean, I think they both could be good flex options. They're both going to get the ball a lot. The Ravens love to run the ball. That's their key to success. So both those guys are guys to keep an eye on. Another girl I like who had his best game of the season as a rookie is Zach Moss. He's actually Santana's cousin. Um, he had He's a third-rounder out of Utah. He's getting goal line carries there. He actually outsnapped Devin Singletary um, last week for the first time. And he had 14 carries, 81 yards, and two TDs. Another guy I like in the flex position, he's playing Seattle, who has a pretty pretty bad defense for the most part. So that's another guy to look at. Um, one more guy injury-wise, Card- the Cardinals' Kenyon Drake has an ankle injury. He's going to be out for a couple weeks. So Chase Edmonds is a guy you guys have to get. I would have got him last week uh, because he was uh, on a bye, but still, he can give you RB1 production. He's going to get 20 touches a game because they love to throw, them, throw it to him out of the backfield, give him carries. And one last guy, the Colts' running back situation is a little odd. I thought Jonathan Taylor was going to be the guy, but last week they went kind of with a hot hand, and Jordan Wilkins is a guy to consider. He had 89 yards on 20 carries, and maybe they're going to ride the hot hand, so – Maybe just pick him up and see. Maybe don't start Jordan Wilkins this week. But that's a guy to keep your eye on going forward if they're going to do a little more committee sharing uh, in that backfield. What about a guy like Damian Harris coming off a pretty solid game for the Patriots? Jets coming up this week. What do you do with there? Yeah, I do like him. You know, he the Patriots backfield for years now. They, you know, Belichick does what he wants. Obviously, they want to win the game. They you can never really get the right running back. Damian Harris, I think, is definitely their guy. To pound the rock, I think he's going to get the most carries. Um, he is a good matchup, obviously, with the Jets this week, considering how bad they are. So I would – another guy in the RB3 flex sec- section, coming off a 100-yard game, talented guy out of Alabama. So, yeah, that definitely is another guy to keep an eye on. And then another going to the injury situation, the Kenny Galladay situation in Detroit with Marvin Jones now, does he become a bigger factor? I mean, you know, he had a pretty good game the other day. They are facing um, – was it – is it um, Minnesota this week, I believe? And so like yes. their past events are like, great. So is that a guy, you know, do you, you know, how do you assess that situation 
because again, when you have a guy out, then more more attention is going to be focused on him too. But you know, he will get targets. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Marvin's going to be, I guess, the de facto number one there. Um, he had he didn't have as much success earlier in the year when Kenny Galladay missed those first two games. Um, he didn't get the ball as much as I thought he would be being the number one option. So that's something to think about going forward because I think he I think he had a touchdown those first two weeks, but maybe six or seven catches total. So obviously, defenses are going to keen on him. I wouldn't rely on him for production right away because, like you said, they're going to key on him. And plus they have TJ Hawkinson, who Stafford threw to him 10 times last week. He had 10 targets a season high. So look for him to look in that direction. And I think he likes – I know he likes Marvin Hall, too, the other receiver who's a good deep threat. But, I mean, if you guys had Kenny Galladay, I think Marvin Jones is another a good option. One other guy you guys could think about would be Corey Davis from the Titans coming off a great 128-yard game. His get best game of the season – also another guy that takes with a grain of salt because he has these games and then he goes quiet for a couple games. Obviously, A.J. Brown is at number one in that offense, but Corey Davis will get some looks there because they do, uh, you know, with their Henry, they're going to set up the pass and Tannehill's going to have some open looks just because they, the play actually going to work so well with Henry in the backfield. What about last guy I'll ask you about is McCall Hardman. What do you do with him? Because if Sammy Watkins, and I don't know his status at this point, but if he doesn't play, is that an interesting guy? Or, or do you just say with that offense, you kind of have to – be careful in terms of because there's so many other guys. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he's, he's probably worth a, you know, place in your roster. Again, I try to see it a couple of weeks before I would give him starting reps. Cause I, I know McCall had that, you know, I think he had 30 yard touchdown basically on that yeah. sweep action last week. So, you know, like you said, they're going to spread the ball around obviously Kelsey and Tyreek are going to be the number one options going number one or two options going forward. And they didn't run as much last week, but I expect eventually to them to start feeding Clyde and Le'Veon as season goes on. But Again, he's probably worth the roster stash, but I probably wouldn't start McColl yeah. at least for a couple of weeks to see some more production. So let's turn turn to Washington versus the Giants, and this is a matchup that a couple weeks we saw it a couple weeks ago. Yep. What you know, we've seen you know what's happened in the interim. What from a fantasy perspective, what are you looking at for this game? Well, I mean, uh, the Giants had a really nice performance uh, unexpectedly last night against Tampa, um, but you know, I think. I really probably would stay away from anyone starting wise in their offense right now. Um, Evan Ingram probably would be the only one I'd be comfortable with, but that's more an indictment on the tight end situation this year. No one's been really great in fantasy. Um, so Evan Ingram, if you got him, is worth a start. Um, he actually got probably one of his better games of the year last uh, last night against Tampa. And as far as Washington, you know, Terry, I think, is a must start. He had 74 yards against them a couple weeks ago. And, you know, it's Evan. He's obviously the number one option in this offense. So I think, you know, he's going to get his, you know, his uh, touches. And Antonio Gibson's obviously coming off the best game of his career. Um, I think they're going to try to see, keep feeding him the ball. So he's another good option in that flex position. And going back to the tight end situation around the league, I think Logan Thomas is worth a start at this point coming off back-to-back double-digit performances. Uh, I think he's far and away the number two option in this offense in the passing game. So I think Logan is a solid option if you guys – got a George Kittle was hurt or another tight end on by. I think he's worthy of a start. And the last thing I want to ask you, going back to Logan Thomas, just from a scouting perspective, what have you seen in him in terms of his growth throughout the season? Is it just getting opportunities or do you see something about his game that has maybe developed at that position? Uh, I, I mean, it's obviously gotten better. You know, I think in the off season, I didn't think too much of the signing because obviously he hasn't had too much production. He still is relatively new to the position, obviously playing quarterback throughout college and, um, you know, tied in only for a couple of years. So obviously, I think, obviously, like you said, getting more targets has helped him. Um, I still like to say, see him make that difficult catch. He's had a couple opportunities where Kyle's given him a chance and Logan has to come away with the play for him to take that next step as a tight end. Um, so hopefully I want to see him in that perspective. I actually, 
been pretty impressed with his blocking, which again, something I didn't think was going to be a strong aspect of his game, considering he was a former quarterback, but I think obviously that has helped. And, you know, he's still not the greatest route runner, but he's a big body, you know, give him a shot. So, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a really good tight end for this offense right now. I still think maybe his ceiling is a really good number two tight end. Right. But with the options on this offense, obviously he's a, he's a starting player for this team right now. So. And it is funny that you bring up the blocking because that's one of the things that, because I even asked him that a couple of weeks ago when we had him on zoom and like, where are you better? And he felt it was the blocking more than anything else. And you can see that sometimes you just learn how to take the right angles and the right steps to get to be effective on a block. I think that's where some of the areas where he has been better. I think, you know, so we'll see where it goes from here. Tyler, always appreciate your time. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. Thanks to Bob Glauber and Tyler Roman for coming on. And thank you for listening. Please remember to support our sponsor, Lono Coffee. Makes for an excellent holiday treat for someone on your list. Tell them Johnny sent you. Talk to you next time.